Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Apparently, California can survive a hurricane. Well, it's kind of a joke. There really wasn't a hurricane. Maybe you were getting prepared. Maybe you thought it wouldn't be a big deal. It was interesting to see. I have a lot of thoughts on the whole topic, but we started to get ready on Saturday evening just in case we heard news from because we heard news from the electric company and we're hearing news potentially from water that they would be shutting things off ahead of the hurricane getting really really bad and the hurricane was downgraded to a tropical storm and lo and behold it wasn't even windy we were preparing for 75 mile per hour winds which aren't out of the world extraordinary for southern california with Santa Ana winds that we expect. Uh, it was nothing. It was nothing. Anyway, I sat, I enjoyed sitting on my front porch and watching it rain and hearing it. And it's made for some really cool days. Maybe a little humid the last couple of days. But welcome to Trending with Timory. It's great to be with you. We are going to dive into some interesting statistics a little later on today about 12th grade girls and boys. Did you hear the news that those who are on their way out of high school are identifying politically a little differently than you might expect. I'll share that with you in just a few minutes here on Trending. Joining me now is Doug Hinderer. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he's been married for over 42 years. And he's joining us today to talk about conflict management, those day-to-day conflicts that we get into in the workforce, in the home, in friendships, how do you navigate it? And is conflict always bad? Joining me today again is Doug Hinderer. He's been married for over 42 years and is a licensed marriage and family therapist. You can find him at happymarriageforlife.com. Doug, welcome to Trending. Good to be here, Timory. Thanks so much for having me on. Let's kick off by talking about whether or not conflict is always a bad thing. And I think this is a big question because some people just love to debate. For example, my (laughs) husband loves clashing ideas and even just throwing a topic out there that he knows people are going to disagree over and see where it goes. And maybe it's a little bit of an observation in how people's characters will respond to disagreement. But sometimes there are more fun things. uh, There's more conversation that's made possible when we disagree on things. So is conflict in and of itself always a bad thing per se? No. Conflict in and of itself is not always a bad thing. It can lead to bad things, of course. But conflict is unavoidable in a marriage. There is no way to escape it. And so, you know, I, I, the, the idea is to embrace it. And, I, you know, the research out there suggests that 69%, so roughly 70% of all conflict in marriages, cannot be resolved. You're just not going to fix it. That Whoa. doesn't mean you've got a bad marriage. That just means you're normal and, and you're human, Okay. And, you know, and it's based on, listen, I mean, if you go back to Genesis, God laid it out pretty clearly. After the fall, he said to Eve, 
I will intensify your toil in childbearing. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your urge will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So right there, he announced there is going to be conflict between you and your husband. Starting with Adam and Eve, there's conflict, and we inherit that. So it's a normal part of what married life's all about. Now, this conversation isn't exclusively about marriage, but I have to ask when you say that, if 70% of all conflict in marriage cannot be resolved, how do you move past it? Whether it's the I agree to disagree, you stand there at a stalemate, aggravated at each yeah. other until someone says, I'm sorry. What do you do if that's kind of that big fact staring you in the face? Sure. And, you know, and there's a lot of different ways to address it and deal with it. But one of the key ones is to... A, have a sense of humor about these things. You know, I mean, I'm a morning person and my wife's a night owl. Well, over the years, that, you know, we've had conflicts over that. And we will continue to have conflicts over that, uh, you know, until the day we die. And it doesn't mean I, I don't need to get angry at her because she wants to stay up late and I want to go to bed. And she doesn't need to get angry at me because I get out of bed before she does sometimes. You have to have a sense of humor and you have to really appreciate the differences in each other. And that's mm -hmm. what makes life special. And I mean, if we were all the same, how boring would that be? So sense of humor and a real appreciation for the differences and, and the ability to actually love each other's differences and in fact, each other's faults and defects as well. So it's having the right perspective on it. Let's talk about the role of emotion because I find that in emotion is kind of the thing that is maybe an indicator as to whether or not we're in an unhealthy conflict or not. What were, would be some of those emotions apart from anger or even recognizing the anger <laughs> that we should be watching out for? Well, you know, one of the powerful ways that we deal with conflict is to shut down and walk away. Just mm. go quiet and avoid it. Obviously, that's not going to resolve the problem because you've got to talk about it to get it resolved. But when we get flooded and we get emotionally, you know, wound up, uh, a good percentage of us just go quiet, shut down. We may just be quiet and just stop talking. We may physically leave the room or leave the house and go for a walk. So that's another, uh, you know, the anger is one thing. Sadness and tears are another. And, you know, there's a lot of therapists who don't like working with couples because it tends to be really emotionally dramatic work with a lot of anger and a lot of sadness, a lot of tears. But I actually enjoy it because <laughs> your emotions tell me what matters to you. Mm -hmm. And you don't get angry or sad about things you don't care about. But if you're getting angry or sad, now I know what's really important to you. I know what's really going on in the core of your being. Now I know who you are as a human being. And now I can help your spouse understand what's getting hurt and, and what's important to you. And we can start building a, a, a better life together. I actually attended one of your talks about a year ago in Chicago and mm -hmm. you presented something that I was thought was really key, whether it's in marriage or in the workplace, it's very relevant. And you commented on the needs and fears of men and women and generally what those are for each. Can you bring those up and maybe point to how they're not just seen in marriage, but they're seen in friendship and in work experiences as well? Sure, 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 sure. So uh, for a man, the predominant need is to be respected. Uh, and in a woman, the dominant need is to be loved. Now, that doesn't mean women don't need to be respected and men don't need to be loved. But it means, generally speaking, probably 70% of the couples, uh, a woman is going to get triggered more quickly if she's feeling unloved. And a man will get triggered more quickly if he's feeling disrespected. Um, and, and, you know, um, 
that goes back to St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians fifth chapter, where he says, husbands, yes. love your wives, wives, respect uh, your husbands. Well, here we are 2000 years later, and we actually have research that says St. Paul was right. Well, <laughs> of course he was right. It was St. Paul. So respect for a man, love for a woman are, are powerful needs. Uh, and fears, a man's greatest fear is failure. We hate failure more than anything, which is why men tend to be so competitive. And a woman's greatest fear is, is abandonment or loneliness, to be pushed aside, to be told she's not really needed. And so oftentimes when a conflict is arising and emotions are starting to elevate, one of those four buttons is getting pushed. The man is feeling disrespected by the way his wife is talking to him, or if she's criticizing or pointing out something he's done wrong, He's going to feel like a failure. He's going to get very defensive about that. Depending on how the husband is talking to the wife, she might feel unloved. If he's pointing out her defects, the things he doesn't like about her, he's, she's going to think, boy, that's I'm not feeling too well loved if every time you talk to me, you tell me what's wrong with me. Uh, or if he ignores her, doesn't make her appreciate the fact that in his life, she is the pinnacle. She is the primary concern of his life. She's going to feel, you know, discarded or off to the side. She'll be very triggered, very saddened by that. Mm. Would you say these needs are still prevalent in the workplace for men and women? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think not quite as much as in marriage because, you know, in marriage, we have this emotional vulnerability that we don't have in, 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 at the office. So in the office, mm -hmm. we protect ourselves a lot. I'm not going to reveal all of myself to you in the workplace, but in marriage, you get the total gift of me. You get all of me and I get all of you. And so nowhere in the world is my heart as vulnerable as it is in marriage because nowhere in the world have I become as vulnerable as I given my entire self and exposed myself to so much pain as in marriage. I was thinking about this in the workplace. If a woman's greatest need is to be loved, yet her greatest fear is to experience that isolation or loneliness or abandonment, in the workplace, it's interesting because women have been, oh goodness, so um, they've been encouraged to behave like men in the workplace. And what's interesting is I find a lot of women often end up being isolated and unloved in the work environment. Yeah. And you know this is a product of feminism. So what happens in the workplace with how women treat, whether it be their colleagues or subordinates in situations like this? Yeah. You know, you know what? And I, I agree 100%. And I, before I started this career as a marriage therapist, I worked in the corporate world in human resources for 36 years. And so, you know, I saw that played out a lot. And I think one of the unfortunate things is uh, women's natural ability to connect with people at the level of the heart and their emotional intuitiveness are great talents in management because you can really understand what's going on in the minds and the hearts of your staff. And our society has said, no, you've got to, if you're a woman, you've got to kill that part of who you are. And I think just the opposite is what's necessary in our workplace mm -hmm. uh, is managers who are emotionally attuned and able to relate to their staff as human beings, not just people who take orders and, mm -hmm. and uh, follow instructions. That makes me think of St. Edith Stein. St. Edith Stein, also known as St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, wrote a lot about women in the workplace. And she talked about how just like in the family, women in the workplace, part of their key contribution is helping the rest of people, especially men, not to atrophy. That there's a personal, like you mentioned, intuitive and connective dimension, even in the workplace, that is necessary. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's one of the things that's missing. I, you know, and now that so many people are working from home, it's even more difficult to connect with your coworkers and your employees as human beings because now they're just a series of emails or texts or maybe a face on a computer screen, and we really lose that human dimension. Mm-hmm. When you commented that a man's greatest need is to be respected and his greatest fear is failure, I, again, I was thinking about that in the workplace or just friendships, and even how I'm seeing this dynamic between the generations playing out before my eyes, where there's a lot of fr- frustration with, let's say, the boomer generation with Gen X, or sorry, not Gen X, but with Gen Y and Gen Z coming up, who lack a lot of kind of hands-on skills that used to be had, mm-hmm. whether it be mechanical, in the house, you know, fix- fixing simple things. And so whether it's in the family or sometimes in the workplace, I find there's a lot of mockery or disregard for the younger generation sometimes by the boomer man because it's just frustrating. And, and I get it. You, yeah. you don't even know how to maybe fix your tire. You don't, And I'm not begrading or bewailing this on men, but it's just a fact. And so how do you build up that next generation when there is that frustration and yet a need for mentorship at the same time occurring kind of... Right there, and I think because of that, there's a lot of floundering for the younger generation because of that big chasm. Well, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that a whole lot since I've been out of the workplace, you know, the corporate world for seven years. But, but I think you know, the idea is to appreciate. I think people's unique talents. I mean, God gave us each a unique set of talents. None of us have the same combination of skills and talents, and to celebrate our uniqueness and to say, you know, yeah, maybe I'm really good with my hands, but you're really good analytically, or you're really good in terms of Mm. linear thinking. And we need that. And so I can, I can celebrate who you are and the gifts that God gave you. And the fact that I've got a different set, uh, that's okay. In fact, that's a good thing that should be celebrated because if we're all just good with our hands and none of us were good with, you know, accounting, well, we'd be in a bad place. So we need this great mix of skills. And, and uh, I do think there is, you know, a problem in masculinity in our society, certainly. And, and young boys are not being taught how to be really men in society. Um, and I think we, as a society, we need to do more to celebrate true masculine virtues and so that these young men aren't afraid to be who they really are and who God intended them to be. I'll have to post a link to an episode we did about a month ago with Devin Shat. We talked about just basic skills that as young men, it's a great idea to have and how to find them, what to work on. Maybe you're wondering, hey, I feel made fun of. I feel like I don't have that mentorship, those hands-on skills that were passed down. So we'll post a link to that in the episode notes as well as on social media. Find that at relevantradio.com forward slash trending in the episode notes available later tonight. And you can also listen on the Relevant Radio app. But we post on social media, too. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Joining me now is Doug Hinder. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. You can find him at happymarriageforlife.com. That's for spelled F-O-R, life.com. And I want to talk a little bit about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I've read about this over the years, talking a lot about marriage and family therapy and how this is relevant to conflict management. Can you share? Share with me why it's important we need to understand these and what to do with them. Sure. This was a, an insight from Dr. John Gottman, who is yes. just 
you know, his research is just so phenomenal and his insights into what marriage is all about. So yeah, he's, there are four behaviors that cause the majority of the disharmony in a marriage. The good news is there's only four things you really got to keep track of. So you don't have to get good at 72, just avoid (laughs) these four things. First is criticism where I point out what's wrong with you. Uh, obviously, you know, I do it because I love you and I want to tell you how messed up you are so you'll become a better person. <laughs> but if the husband is pointing out, criticizing the wife, she's not feeling too loved. And if the wife is criticizing the husband, he's feeling pretty disrespected and like a failure. So those things don't work. Number two is is um, contempt, which is mean-spirited criticism. So this is, you know, when you lose your temper and you're saying some pretty hurtful things now, name-calling, devaluing, sarcasm. This is the most predictive of divorce because it's the most painful because I'm really trying to hurt you now verbally. Um, and man, I'm not feeling too loved or respected when you're sitting here and calling me names and saying these really harsh things to me. Uh, number three is stonewalling. I referenced that a little bit earlier where I just shut down and walk away. Uh, and I can't solve the problem if I don't stay you know, tuned in. The problem is what, what Gottman's research has shown is once your heart rate gets above about 100 beats per minute, You've lost your ability to be rational. You're now just in fight or flight. And I don't want to get in a big fight, so I'm just going to get out of here. Uh, and so that's it, important to know that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm flooded now, and I'm just going to go and say some things I'm going to regret, so I need to stop. That's important. But you got to be able to call a timeout. That's good. But say when you're coming back. So if you say, hey, listen, I'm really upset now. I'm not in a good place. I need to take a break. Can I come back in an hour and can we talk about this again? Well, if the husband says that to the wife, the wife is not going to feel abandoned. She's going to feel, yeah, I'm a priority to you. You want to get resolved? I'm good with that. If the wife says that to the husband, he's going to say, okay, that's a respectful way to treat me. You're just not going to walk away. You're going to come back. So that's the way to handle if you get flooded and, and you want to shut down is call a timeout and talk about when you're coming back. And then the last one is defensiveness. And, you know, it's when I blame you for all the problems. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And I'll give you a good example of that. Last week, uh, I let the dog out in the morning. It had rained overnight. He came in with muddy paws. I wiped off his paws. The first thing the dog did was run into the living room, thereby establishing that I had not done an adequate job of wiping <laughs> off his paws. My wife appeared out of nowhere, and she <laughs> pointed out that I had not done that job properly, to which I proceeded to say, well, you know, this is your fault. She said, this is my fault. I said, yeah, because you're the one who put carpet in the living room. I wanted to put in hardwood. <laughs> so that's that's an example of defensiveness. I, You know, you blame your spouse for everything that's wrong. You've got to own your share of what's going on of, in, in the disharmony because uh, you can only fix the person in the mirror in the morning. You can't fix your spouse. If you could have, we'd all be married to perfect people by now. So big things to watch out for if you feel or hear yourself start to criticize, you start harboring that contempt with criticism, sarcasm, name calling, stonewalling where we're just shutting down or the defensiveness with the blame game. These are the four huntsmen of the apocalypse as Dr. John Gottman talks about. Talk to me a little bit more about how they're playing out and how to address them. So, yeah, so so we all have our pattern. Each, each couple, each married couple has a pattern they fall into. And we each kind of have a favorite horse we like to ride. So maybe it's criticism or it's defensiveness or whatever. And the way to deal with this is, and I, I it's a three-step process that I teach, and I, I just call it gentle, gentle conversation or gentle startup. And it starts off with the phrase, I feel, and you label your emotions. So I feel hurt, I feel frightened, I, I feel worried. So I feel, next sentence, when you. So I feel uh, worried when you come home late and don't call and tell me you're going to be late. Okay, so I feel 
when you, and then the third sentence is, and I'd like to ask you to please what you'd like your spouse to do different next time. So I feel worried when you come home late and don't call. And I'd like to ask you to please call if you're going to be more than 15 minutes late. Oh, okay. I can do that. Sure. Because you know, the deal of it is 90%, of time when we do something that hurts our spouse, it's not intentional. You know, we, but we're absent-minded and we're flawed. We have our defects and, and we're busy. And I didn't think to call until I was going to be late and I'm sorry. And this, this approach works because the basic premise of it is I really love you. I, I don't want to hurt you. And if I'm doing something that hurts you, I'd like to know about it so I can stop doing it. And if you can tell me that in a way that as a man lets me feel respected and not like a failure, and as your wife, that I am loved and I'm the priority and I'm important in your life, I'll listen to that all day long because I want to be the perfect husband. And when I get it wrong, I sure would like to know it. If you could tell me that way that protects me, um, that is something I'd, I'd be willing to listen to and try to do better. I think I might have missed one of the three steps. Number one, you said, I feel worried when you gave the example, you show up late and don't call me. And then yeah. you said, I would like to ask you to please, for example, yeah, the give middle me a step. call. Okay, yeah, the, the middle step? step. So the first step is I feel, and then you label your emotion. Second step is when you, and you talk about the other person's Got behavior. It. And the third step is what you'd like them to do different. Got it. Okay, so you, you label the emotion, address the yeah. problem, and then you present a solution. Isn't that so key? Yep. It, take this and apply it in the workplace as well, because there's a lot of conflict in terms of difference of personalities, difference in generations today. Uh, yep. I think that with a lot of, you know, I feel like everyone has a niche expertise today. And so you need a lot of like cross department collaboration in topics. And I, I could even present it as easy as you're going to the grocery store i'll see the tension sometimes between the deli counter and the front checkers or the people at the meat counter and it's just kind of funny to see the difference between the butchers and the people who are serving the hot food and the frustration that occurs between them and yeah. their kind of niche areas so how do you address this or can you give an example in the workplace yeah i think emotion is going to be different so it's not you're not going to say well i feel unloved when you do this but you could say listen i feel frustrated when you know you're committed to giving me that report by nine o'clock in the morning and I don't get it until noon, or I feel disappointed, uh, you know, so the emotion will be a little bit different. Uh, but again, it makes the workplace very human that, you know, I relied on you to have that report on my desk first thing in the morning, wasn't there, so I was disappointed. But you have to start with your emotion first. If you start with the other person's behavior, it's going to come across as criticism which is then going to trigger either the stonewalling or the defensiveness. So you can't start off with, you didn't get that report to me on time and I'm disappointed in you, man, I'm going to shut down there. I'm going to start defending myself. So you just got to start with the emotion first. I'm, I felt kind of disappointed when I came in this morning, the report wasn't there and I didn't get it till 12 o'clock. Can we talk about what we need to do differently so that, you know, I could get the report when I need it. That's a gentler way to do it. So for men who are listening, are they going to push back or do they push back against this emotive forward uh, kind of solution that you're presenting? <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah, some men will push back for sure, uh, you know, and there's a lot of possible reasons for that. But I think you've got the best chance of success if you can talk to me about what's not working properly, but in a way that doesn't make me feel like a failure and that treats me with respect as a man. So some men will still push back, but but I think you got the best chance for success that way. 
I think these are great, great models for solutions in reducing conflict, addressing conflict in those moment-to-moment experiences wherever you might be. And it's been so wonderful talking to you. Doug Hinder, he's a licensed marriage and family therapist, is here with me from from happymarriageforlife.com. Now, you have a marriage discernment program. Just really quick, I'd love to hear a little bit about it and how it's available for people who are getting ready to be married. Yeah, yeah. So great. Thank you for that. Yeah, on my website, I have a, a link to a, a 18-module workshop that I call Marriage Discernment. Two, ma- two major goals in a workshop. First is to help the couple discern, is it a good idea for the two of us to get married? Do we have a really good, you know, is there good compatibility? Do we have a good chance for success? Number one, and if the answer is yes, we have a good chance for success. What are the skills that you need to do marriage well? So conflict management, like we talked about today, how to grow the love, keep the love alive, et cetera, how to practice forgiveness in marriage. So it's self-paced, uh, and I, but I think it'll be of great value. It's ideal for couples who are the, the sweet spot. I think couples who are in a serious relationship, talking about getting engaged, trying to discern, is that the right step? This is a uh, workshop great for there. But once you're engaged, I think it's a perfect marriage prep thing. It works really well with the other marriage prep uh, courses that are out there like Pre-Cana and, and the others. Uh, Complements what they do, but I think it's, it's skill-based mm-hmm. and it also helps you discern, is this a good idea going forward? I love that. And that is what is needed is that skill-based marriage prep. I am first of one, one of many people to say that a lot of marriage prep marriage prep that I experienced or have seen has been pretty lousy. And I hear that time and time again from people. So we need programs like that. It's a marriage discernment program. And I love that you mentioned it. If you're in a serious relationship, check it out before getting engaged. Or I always say this, if you're engaged, don't be afraid to break it off. Actually, I'll never forget. I had someone call last year who said, help me decide whether or not to marry this woman. And he broke it off. He broke it off. He called us the next day. And it was one of those moments where I think it's a good thing. I think sometimes we think, oh, well, the story's over. Everything's awful. No, this is a new beginning that's so important. There are couples who have gone through my workshop who have uh, ended their to help the couple really take a good assessment as to where we are and do we have the right uh, compatibility. Fantastic. We're posting a link on social media to that. That's Doug Hinder, a licensed marriage and family therapist. You can find his website at happymarriageforlife.com. That's F-O-R-life.com. I'll be right back here on Trending. Thanks for joining us, Doug. We'll be back and we will dive into some interesting topics surrounding how seniors in high school are identifying politically and i think what it has to say about faith the future of marriage and much more so what's trending bridging your catholic faith with your everyday life you're listening to trending with timory on relevant radio and the relevant radio app What do the political views of a 12th grade girls and boys say? A whole lot. I'm looking at this and I am fascinated. So there's been this ongoing survey done since the 1970s. And it basically looks at the political landscape of seniors in high school. And what they think, believe, and it gives us a sense of the trajectory in the years, months, and even weeks to come after 
they graduate college. And here's what's interesting. In the most recent of the Monitoring the Future survey, high school boys are two times as likely to identify as conservative than liberal. So in other words, more boys in high school who are seniors, they're more conservative than they are liberal, two times more likely to be so. In the same for girls, but flip it on its back. High school girls are two times more likely to be liberal. This is interesting. And this has been a trend that I've even seen over the last year among young women, where ever since the overturning of Roe versus Wade, young women are becoming increasingly more radicalized when it comes to abortion so-called feminism and it's interesting because as this occurs men are stepping over to the side and they're stepping over again and many of whom are stepping out of the dating game as they get into their 20s and early 30s and it's fascinating so what's happening is as women become radicalized men in some respects you could say so too I think it's interesting, and I think it's good that men are leaning toward more family value type of political views, but what's unfortunate is I think that part of this is that you're seeing a lot of teen boys who, while they're leaning toward more uh, family-centered views at the same time, I think you've got a little bit of this kind of ticked-off conservative mindset occurring among young boys and I'm seeing it I really am seeing it and so while it's a step in the right direction at the same time we don't want this embittered generation of young men that we're seeing occurring who are stepping out of the dating scene and so I think we need to talk about a little bit of the antidote here in a few minutes but it is interesting because I was even looking at polls from NBC from last year And if you compare this to some of the reports with this Monitoring the Future survey, Generation Z has been favoring liberalism over conservatism by a 48 to 33 margin. Now, if you look at the trend with high school boys, though, being two times more likely to be conservative than liberal, and then the opposite with girls being more likely to be liberal than conservative, it's interesting because... Again, I think, boys, this comes to a deeper issue, though, not just family values. It comes to the issue that young men are sick and tired of being canceled. The cancel culture that has been occurring in the media that is mainstream and talked about by the majority of Americans now or people in the West began with boys being canceled. And you could argue girls being canceled, too, with abortion, but it wasn't the same thing. Boys have been canceled for decades. Just start off with a zero-tolerance policy. Start off with a very female-centered approach to education. Boys are sick of it. And as they get into the years where they're thinking more and more, they're about to head out on their own, or at least I hope they're thinking more, they're sitting here saying, you know, no, I'm sick of it. And I think that's why there is this little bit of a ticked off perspective that can be dangerous. But also where they're also leaning against what they're seeing in the culture, which is a radically feminized education system and a very broken down mindset with regard to marriage. Boys want to experience real sacrificial love. Boys want to get married. 
and it'll be really interesting to see in the years to come what happens. I was actually looking, this is how I found out about the study on Twitter, uh, X, whatever you want to call it. A rapper and podcaster, you may know him by the name of Zuby, commented, and I thought it was very keen. He said, I predict because of this, more American men will be seeking foreign brides in the future. He said, get your passports, bros. And this made me laugh because I actually think this has already been occurring. I think that many men for decades now, for decades, really since the 60s, who are sick and tired of the quality of Western American women, have already been seeking spouses in different cultures where they have respect, cultures where respect for men are still upheld, and respect for family values. That's significant. Respect is important when it comes to family values, and respect for men is fundamental. The bottom line is, is that what's interesting about all of this is that a lot of the studies coming out right now about women and who women are interested in marrying is that women find conservative men more attractive, and conservative men are the men that they want to marry. What does this mean? Well, gentlemen, listen up. You're getting the right perspective if you are holding to a sense of integrity, family values, and faith. But if you're leaning into a conservative mindset that is strictly focused on politics that don't focus around faith and family, and you're just enjoying the combative, manly dimension of it, well, that's not exactly what women want. What women want are men who have a sense of leading, protecting, providing, who have a sense of integrity, virtue, honesty, faith, integrity with regard to sexuality. Even if women are saying and flaunting one thing with their bodies, they actually want a man who, guess what, respects them and has family values in mind. Historically, what's really interesting is that it used to be women, and it still is, But it used to always be women who were the gatekeepers of childbearing. In other respects, not just childbearing, of saying yes or no to sexual intimacy. If a woman said no, it was more likely that a man would oblige and wait and commit and get married. In fact, I can think of one friend and mentor of mine who for years, her husband while in college, tried and tried and tried to see if she would cave and say yes. She didn't. She said no over and over again, holding to her Catholic faith, her Catholic perspective. Guess what? She's the one he married even when other women were offering themselves more than available to him at any given time. And yet this is a story that has been going on for years. It's women who are the gatekeepers to sexuality. But what's interesting is today women are saying yes or women want to feel loved because of the broken culture we live in. But what's interesting is that it very well may be If men can keep control of their perspective and their use of pornography and have a sense of sexual integrity, it can actually be the well-valued men that can help in leading to a reversion of women to the great value of motherhood and sexual integrity. Gentlemen, dig into your faith because you will present yourselves as rather attractive to the women who are already saying you're the type of guy they want to date and marry, but they just can't quite get around to understanding that they need to change their values too. So as we see this prediction, and it's not a prediction because it's factual, the fact that women or girls 
who are 18, 17, 18 seniors in high school are two times more likely to be liberal and 17, 18-year-old boys, seniors in high school are two times more likely to be conservative. There's a clash of ideas here. There's a clash when it comes to whether or not people will marry, whether or not people will agree or disagree. I'd be interested to actually hear from 17 and 18-year-olds if they would marry someone with different political views today. Because for me, I actually wouldn't. I think that's a hard, fast stop, and I really held to that early on. I'm always just fascinated when people can actually get married and have radically different political views, especially when it comes to marriage and family. But today, I'm wondering if that's something people can still engage in. It used to be, you know, you hear maybe about grandparents or one person is Republican, one person is Democrat. I don't think you see that as often today. I really don't think you will. So I'd be interested to hear from these young men and women who are talking about their political views going into the future about whether or not they would be open to marrying someone who more than likely has a radically different worldview on politics and not just politics but that falls into religion marriage and so much more so it is a really fascinating conversation i will be interested to see how this plays out the bottom line is is that we can't ignore how influential the overturning of roe versus wade has been on young women the radical pro-abortion agenda has been viscerally attacking motherhood just read any article even the articles mainstream articles you could read the washington post new york times that share the fantastic news and they don't present this way i am about a woman who was turned away from getting access to have an abortion she's turned away she doesn't have the opportunity to have the abortion because the law has changed in her area because of the overturning of roe versus wade that made it so that states can change their laws but then the article presents this negative perspective yet at the end of the day you read the story and this couple got married and they had their baby and i see a good side to it yet all the article wants to try and say is that this was terrible yet that's not what the testimony of this young couple says i think it's interesting Joe in San Francisco's on the line. Joe, welcome to Trending. What's your thought on this news about more teenage boys being more liberal or more conservative and more teenage girls being more liberal? I can understand this, but be very careful. These quote unquote mail order brides that I can uh, vouch for personally through my friends that have gone through this, these young ladies get Americanized very quickly. And then all of a sudden, they'll say, no, 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 I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. So you've got to be very careful with this. And I understand that a young man would like to find something more conservative, but a lot of times it's, it's, a, uh, uh, it's not what you think it is. They, they want to come to this country a lot of times. And then also, once they get to the country, they go from like a grass hut to Mercedes 450 XL and all the rest of that stuff. They get very materialized quickly. It's an interesting take, and I can't believe we're even talking about mail-order brides. It's something you used to laugh about in the movies. But I've known people as well, Joe, who have actually broadened brides from overseas, whether they meet them on social media, and next thing you know, you know, this person has greater family values, but then they come to the States and they are 
westernized. They are feminized. And that's the problem. The feminist pull for women is so strong today. And we need to be willing to push back against it. So I think the question is, how do you fix it? How do you fix it? Number one, we need to promote masculinity with integrity and men need a mentorship versus a ticked off conservative mindset that I could see brewing. Instead, we need something that's very virtue and family-centered and skill-centered to help men to become leaders, protectors, and providers. But for women, what needs to happen? Well, the feminist lie is the feminist lie. We need to tell women the truth about their bodies and motherhood. We need to validate the desire for married life and motherhood from a young age and continue to foster it and not allow it to be stifled by the culture. And let me tell you this, it is being stifled by the culture at the age of 13 and 14 years old. We need to be combative already at that place. But instead of focusing on just responding to all of the negative content out there attacking motherhood, let's focus on the beauty of that desire for motherhood. Let's expose young women to babies. Not that they have to babysit or anything like that, but let them delight in babies. Let them enjoy the idea of marriage rather than it being blotted out by the culture. And I think that this whole conversation isn't going anywhere. We need to have it. And it is a Catholic conversation because it is the Catholic worldview upholding faith, family, virtue, integrity that is going to change the trajectory of what is happening today. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio. I'll be right back. We're talking about the antidote here on Trending, and that is what the church has taught and what the church has taught for years. We're doing a deep dive into the biblical anthropology of the human person in this series we've been running on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. I'll be right back here on the show and be sure to subscribe to the podcast because we are continuing to unpack all of the 133 catechetical talks by Pope St. John Paul II and we're posting them on the podcast. So subscribe to Trending with Tim Murray where you listen, but especially listen on the relevant radio app on demand. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. If you've been with us last week, you know we were in the midst of our summer pledge drive and we met our need because of you of three million dollars to continue to cover basic operating expenses i can't believe it it's a lot we did it you did it and i want to say thank you thank you for supporting the work we're doing thank you for praying for us for sticking with us through the last week if you have not donated yet you still can because the need is always there and There's a difference between need and what we want to continue to grow and buy additional radio stations across the nation. So it's not too late to give. Relevantradio.com is the easiest way to give. Or you can call still 877-291-0123. But Relevantradio.com and the Relevant Radio app, it's safe, secure, tax deductible. And what you do helps to build up the kingdom of God in our culture today through the media and that's where we need to be. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Let's talk about Pope St. John Paul II's theology of the body. But before we do, I wanted to let you know I received staggering news about the increase in mental health crisis and ER visits for children. We're going to talk about real solutions, how to prevent it, where we aren't seeing an increase in mental health crises and ER visits 
tomorrow here on trending so be sure to join me because this is a problem that isn't going anywhere unless we as people of faith dig in and say hey we need to make some changes and i'll tell you what those are tomorrow on trending Okay, Pope St. John Paul II, Theology of the Body. We moved at a little bit of a slow pace last week with Pledge Drive, but I want to unpack this ending of Today and Tomorrow. We'll wrap up this beginning section where Pope St. John Paul II has been introducing these key ideas. We talked about original innocence, original unity, the spousal meaning of the body, all of those original states prior to the fall. And the big picture was this. What Jesus was trying to communicate to the Pharisees and Matthew 19 and Mark 10 was really trying to help them understand that God's original intention for man and woman is the view of the human person. And what Pope St. John Paul II is communicating is that we need to stop looking at our humanity, at our anthropology from a fallen worldview, but instead a grace-filled view of the blueprint for the body as God intended from the dawn of creation. And so with this, we're talking about procreation, having babies, the significance of motherhood and fatherhood. And what Pope St. John Paul II is pointing at is that men and women have a greater sense of self-discovery and discovery of one another when they understand that a woman stands before a man as a mother. And when she comes into this, a woman helps to reveal the paternity of a man. She helps to continue to develop the paternity. That is the fatherhood of a man. I remember in Pope St. John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility, before he was Pope, he wrote it as Carol Votila, a beautiful book. He actually talks about how women are more akin to motherhood and men come into their fatherhood, but it's often at the assistance of the prompting of the wife to help to grow and develop and foster that fatherhood, that relationship between child and father. It's a beautiful thing. I've even seen it develop within my own marriage and with our children. But what Pope St. John Paul II is really pointing to is how important it is that we understand the significance of procreation and sexuality together. That human generation helps a man and a woman in a deeper sense of knowing each other. This is why the word biblical knowledge, as Pope St. John Paul II, refers to sexuality in the sense that we, in the sexual complementary, come to a greater understanding and bring about new life. Now, he talks about this from the perspective of the mystery of creation, the mystery that we see from the dawn of creation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, that God created out of nothing. He created the man, and then from the man, he created the woman. That we need to continue to be in awe of this mystery, and that this is exactly what's happening when new life is created now by us in communion with God the Creator. Pope St. John Paul II says the significance of the act that originates a being in union with the Creator establishes a new human being in existence. He's saying we need to look at this as a mystery. He talks about this biblical knowledge, this biblical knowing, that keyword in sacred scripture that you now know what that means, if you've been following the series, is a union of persons in love. He's talking about that self-donation, that gift of self that is lived out in one way through procreation, having children. And he emphasizes the value of a child created 
within the context of marriage and valuing how we must value that that is how new human life is meant to be brought into this world. Now, without diving into everything from surrogacy to in vitro fertilization, this is what he's touching on. And we're going to unpack this in the conclusion of this part of Theology of the Body, of how all of this by Jesus Christ's appeal to the beginning with a man made male and female, that primordial sacrament of marriage being appealed to, he's actually answering any crisis that we are talking about today that we are seeing in the ideologies of the radical feminists and pro-LGBTQ culture. And we'll unpack that tomorrow during our Theology of the Body series and wrap up in this section of that appeal to building up a biblical anthropology of the human person. Pope St. John Paul II says that every man carries himself in himself the mystery of his beginning, strictly tied to the consciousness of the generative meaning of the body. What Pope St. John Paul II is saying here is that every human person carries within, within himself, within herself, that understanding, that mystery that is linked to the fact that we were created by God, that generational gift of new human life, and that that was given to us and that we have the potential, the potency for that as well. I think that's significant because there's been a loss of understanding of what makes babies, of where children come from. And I think a wholesome view of the human person, a fundamental dimension of raising children, of raising teenagers, is valuing that gift of children, especially for women. Coming back to a great value of protecting motherhood and that potential. And that that's why intimacy is so important, but also meant to be so valued and respected and protected. Instead of a culture that says, you do you, your timing, and you can be as explicit and nasty as you want. That's what the feminist culture says. And as we see in some of those stats I was reporting on earlier, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the younger generations, even seniors in high school today, women are biting the bait. They're taking it. And we need to build back that culture that understands and respects the potential for new human life and how mysterious and valuable that is. Pope St. John Paul II actually points to this value of the potency for new life, what he refers to as the generative dimension of the body. He says this is the precipice, the threshold of man's history. That is, this is the history. This is the part of human history we need to focus on. He says in his beginning on the earth, on this threshold, the human person he points to as male and female with the consciousness of the generative meaning of your and my bodies, he says, the masculinity contains in a hidden way the meaning of fatherhood and that femininity also contains the hidden meaning of motherhood. What Pope St. John Paul II is saying is we look, as we look at the vision of the primordial human persons, Adam and Eve, Genesis, diving into the creation narratives, that at the core of it is understanding that generative dimension of, of creating new life the mystery that's involved in how masculinity reveals itself into fatherhood and femininity is revealed even further through motherhood. We'll be back tomorrow unpacking how Theology of the Body is relevant to all the cultural crises of our culture and answering the crisis of young children and the mental health 
challenge today. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Tuesday, we are going to talk about real solutions to the news that's come that there's been an increase in mental health crisis and ER visits for children because of everything from suicidality, depression, anxiety, and more. What do we do about it? Well, we'll talk about it with a keen Catholic take. Also, what would Jesus say to the cultural crises we face today? Well, we're unpacking this in our Theology of the Body series as the antidote to what's happening today. Join me Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.